Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending Friday, the 26th of March. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear us chat to Michael Harden for Food Interlude all about the future food systems, which is happening at Fed Square. And also, Jez and I went out for dinner. You hear us talk about that. Uh, Daniela Baldry came in to do a book review uh, for a book called Fake Accounts. (laughs) Writing's very small. Uh, And also, Adam Knox uh, popped in uh, to be our Wednesday wisecracker. From Oxfam, Nagara Murray spoke to us about the 2021 Close the Gap report, and we celebrated the other IWD, International Waffle Day. (laughs) Triple R. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. It's always with a kind of excited trepidation to hear what Michael Harden has to say about food every time we chat. G'day, Michael. Yeah, well, that's like the way I like to roll. <laughs> but it's, it, yes, it's uh, it's a very eye-watering um, couple of minutes we get to spend. What have, what have you been, what have you been up to? Well, I, I just wanted to talk about today about um, this fantastic project that some people probably have heard of. It's been going on for a few months down on the banks of the river at Federation Square called the Greenhouse. It's part of a, um, a project called Future Food System, and it's this completely sustainable house that's been built on the edge of the Yarra and two chefs, um, Joe Barrett and Matt Stone, have moved in there and are living there for six months and the whole place is completely sustainable. So it's like from, it was brought in in three pieces and it sits there, it hasn't actually got um, traditional foundations, but it's found that the foundations are the gardens that are, are grown all over the house, which is they've got like 80 tonnes of soil on the house, which mm. anchors the house to the ground and it's sort of like you know it's a nice metaphor because it actually anchors the whole project as well because it's about sustaining the house on its own like and everything it's like this amazingly complicated system that the whole place um is self-sustaining so other than the the usual you know you've got um solar panels and rainwater tanks and all of that sort of stuff but it also has you know worm farms and all every every bit of waste in the house is used to grow food because uh, the guy behind it, Joost Bakker, he's been a long-term um, advocate for um, getting rid of waste in restaurants. And uh, this is this is sort of like the, the epitome of all of that. So, like, every everything is, like, he believes that the production and the transport and the consumption and the growing of food in the world is one of the greatest ways of wasting. So this is like a project to bring food production to individual buildings so that we cut out a lot of the waste side of things. So it's like like this incredibly um, worthy project that can make you feel like you're completely not achieving anything and you're uh, (laughs) staying on the world. But, um, you know, but but it also, it's like it's just full of so many great ideas, you know, sort of even things like, you know, kind of like the whole waste system, water waste, even toilet waste, the whole lot is put into particular biodigesters and it's turned into compost that then goes into a worm farm that then turns into like beautiful compostable material that can feed the gardens but also the gas is used to power the stoves if the methane that's produced in you know rotting vegetables etc is used to power the stoves so everything is um, able to be used in this and like it, things like you know you talk mushrooms before they've got a whole wall of mushrooms there which they call the mushroom and uh yeah uh, uh, 
Um, and uh, it is, and they grow, I think it's about 46 varieties of mushroom and they have them, it's on a vertical wall oh. and they have the mushrooms that are in these recycled plastic containers. They're kind of, they're, they're put into those and then they're on this wall and then they use the steam from the showers is used to keep the air in the mushroom um, humidified so that the mushrooms grow really quickly. And they're, doing, they're, they're producing the most amazing mushrooms. They've got these sort of lion's mane mushrooms, which sort of look like a, they're like a fluffy, you know, those old um, seats that people used to have in their, you know, their, their bedrooms where the, with the fluffy seat and the, the wire legs where you'd sit mm, in front yes. of the dressing table. It kind of looks like that. And then, you know, there's sort of all these other ones as well. So um, It's just the coolest project Ever. I, yeah. I love everything they're doing. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is seriously, seriously exciting. And the good thing about it is that, like, you can go in and, you know, what they're doing, it's quite hard to get into now because um, it's it's been booked out, but you can go on a waiting list. They do tours where they'll take you through the whole place. It's a three-story three place with, you know, gardens on the roof and they've got... You know, the other thing, one of the amazing things, I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but there's so much going on yeah. in this place. But they've got it's all they've got aquaponics as well. So not only are they growing vegetable, like an amazing variety of vegetables, but they've got they've got barramundi, they've got <gasps> yabbies, they've got freshwater mussels, and the water that that those um, those creatures are living in gets because of all the waste that goes into it it's really good for the garden so that goes back onto the garden again they've got you know they've got crickets that they the edible crickets that they um raise that are living on some of the food scraps and then they turn those into dishes and stuff so it's this um it's mind-boggling amount of stuff that they're doing there are they serving meals they do they're doing a meal like they're doing i think it's four nights a week and you can book it's quite expensive but you kind of um you know you sort of you look at in terms of what they're trying to do like the two chefs that are living there this is their income for the year you know they, mm. they're not getting paid to do this so they're kind of growing the garden and everything so their the meals are expensive so it's 390 dollars ahead mm. for it but it's a six course meal you sit in the in the living room of this house it's like <gasps> going to somebody's house the two chefs are there chatting to you about you get a tour of the house and uh yost Bakker is there as well mm. so and it, it includes booze and stuff like they don't produce the booze on site mm -hmm. but they do use anybody that's using recyclable stuff is going there but um it's really it's so it's so it's such an interesting and exciting project and can you when you go, are they, uh, you know, do you, is it like the Maya windows or like? Or is it like when regurgitator it for the bubble? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like that. It's like a zoo. Um, you know, it's like look at the chefs in their in their natural habitat. But um, no, it's sort of like they're just. It's just. It's a house. The house is actually at the end of the time that it's at Fed Square. Um, it's going to be Yost's mum's place. They're going to they're oh. going to pull it apart. It, it pulls apart into three pieces and goes on the back of a truck. And then they're going to ship it up to the country. Of, I think they live in the Yarra Valley, and um, his mum's going to live in it. So um, <gasps> you know, it's like it's just, so it's just a regular house, but it's, it's actually a really, really attractive house as well. And they've all even kind of the woodwork and the cabinetry and everything is all used from a, a tree, a cypress tree that fell over on a on a, a mate's farm, mm. and they just and they just um, milled that and have turned that into wood panelling and. A, a, dining table and all the joinery in the kitchen and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, so. it's it's sheer grandiosity means that it has to transcend gimmick here. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the good thing about it is that it sort of feels like 
it's got there's a thousand ideas and you don't have to do them all at the same time like you can just take some of the ideas to be able to sort of grow a bit of food at your house like just the idea of like you know they're really pushing this whole idea of like there's nothing that tastes better in a salad than a leaf that's just come out of the garden you know it's mm. like it's a completely different thing to something that's been sitting in a store for a couple of, even for a couple of days so that's that kind of thing that it's like some things are real like you know we're not all going to be growing yabbies in our apartments you know <laughs> sort of like that's not going to happen but you know there's the, there's the possibilities and it's sort of like I think the whole idea of it is opening up your head to it's sort of like wow I would never have realized that you could grow this much food um, in such a small space and also in the climate because I've been following one of the chefs on Instagram for the, for the whole time and she remember yeah. I was just amazed that they grew bananas in in Melbourne yeah. you know <laughs> bananas yeah. they're growing oats they're growing corn they're doing like mm. and one of the most amazing things that was really exciting to me is like they do it there's, there's this thing called their tiger nuts which they're not mm. actually a nuts they're more like a tuba and this is how they're making milk because because of their whole system that they're not allowed to you know they have to do everything on site they were sort of looking at how how we use milk because if they're going to be serving people guests you need some sort of dairy-ish um you know ingredient and these nut milk uh, these these tiger nuts uh sort of they grow in the ground like tubers they they do sort of about they've got about three bathtubs worth of them and they produce like a liter of milk a day wow so it's sort of like because they were looking at almonds they were looking at oats and everything but all of those they're too they, they use too much water and they're, they're not sustainable enough but these tiger nuts which which grow everywhere they're kind of mm. all over the world and grow as a weed are something that can be used and it's and the, the milk is actually really delicious it's quite sweet a little bit like coconut and it's sort of like it cooks up really well like when you heat it it sort of thickens a bit so it's like a corn slurry so they're making like the most amazing sort of apple tarts with a with a tiger milk basis and they're using the apples that they're growing on the roof mm. to sort of you know to use in the in the cooking so um and you know they're doing some really sophisticated food there this uh, establishment that they've left what is it like you know footy in trading plays and it changes the makeup of the club like what, what you know Matt Matt Stone, you say, and is it Joe? Yeah. Joe Barrett, yeah. Yeah, so they've they've moved on. But the place that they've left, does that maintain their spirit or does it sink? Well, I think it's sort of it's more to do with the kind of idea because the house does is going to leave. Like, it's not a permanent structure there. So, but they, they have to, Matt and Joe have been doing this sort of stuff. They've been working at Oak Ridge Estate in the Yarra Valley mm. for quite a few years. And they've been, they had this whole system going on there where it was like they were like, everything was like within, if they didn't grow it themselves, they got everything from within a really small range. They had a very, very narrow range of where they could get things from. And so they've got, they've got this idea, like they're, they're really match fit you know, in terms of like looking at food and being able to go, oh, we can use that, we can turn that into that. So, you know, things like, you know, even with the crickets, they're sort of using like, you know, they're doing these fried crickets that they, they're, salt, they're, they're salting with, you know, using the sort of garlic and, and um, charred peppers and stuff to sort of use it as, as a seasoning for these sort of particular foods. So they've got this, their way of adapting, of they're, they're looking at things now, they've got these eyes that sort of everything that they see, they can think, okay, I'm going to use the whole lot. Yeah. So, you know, they're even using, you know, they use all the bones from the barramundis to make, you know, wow. sort of chicken stops and things like that. Oh, it's not chicked off, but fish stock and that thing, <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. So everything gets used. Mm. Okay. Uh, and it's uh, it's on the it's on it's at Fed Square. It's around for how 
you know, if if you I don't have tickets and you can't get a meal, is it still worth checking out? Well, it's worth having a look. It's a really, it's a, it's a quite an attractive building. And just to what to see it, you can look up there and you can see like the gardens sort of cascade down the side of it, so you can see all of the food. Like, and so it looks really beautiful. Um, but it's also, you know, this amazing project that's just kind of sitting there chugging away, sort of self-sustaining. So it's, um, it's definitely worth having a look. And, you know, I think there are waiting lists to go on. So if, you know, you're really keen to have a look at it or go to dinner there, I think you can pop yourself on a waiting list and who knows, you might, you know, might get the uh, the lottery. All right. Future, future food systems. And it's still a bit concerning that our showers can produce that much fungus. But, um... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. But, you know, it's like we, sometimes we just have to face the harsh reality. Michael Harden, thanks heaps. Yeah, nice to see you. Bye. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Went out for dinner last night. Nice. Yeah, with some friends. Um, Kath and I met some friends at the pub, and the friends were Mon and Will. Yay! (laughs) We the big reveal. (laughs) (laughs) Um. We went to the pub for dinner. Do you want to? Do you want to say why? Why we went? We wanted to talk about Daniel. How great is Daniel? Because one of Kath's many jobs is as a marriage celebrant, mm. and Will and I are planning our marriage. So we want to see uh, if if Kath had the goods. Yeah, so, had the goods. So give yeah. us a pitch. What do you do? How are you going to make our special day <laughs> even more special? I know. Even bef- before we went out for dinner, she was like, now, do I have to give them a pitch or do they already want me? And I was like, I think bring your pitch, babe. Like, <laughs> I, I, and she goes, I'm just – it's because, you know, I've got it wrong before where, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll have a dinner. And, yeah. And then they're like, so we want you and when do we start filling out the paperwork? Um, and there's other times where she's, you know, rocked up with the paperwork – Ready to go. Oh, no. <laughs> but not like, yeah, yeah. you know, she keeps it in the back. So this is, you need to fill this out and I'll send this in and then, whoa. Whoa. You're keen, but that's not us. Did you go to the pub? Yeah, we, we went, went to the, the pub. pub. Oh, Burger night. I got a, and I got a steak sandwich, and I was very pleased that that came under the category of burger. Yeah, yeah, I was happy with that. And those chippies, so oh. good. Did you eat all your chippies and most of Will's? Great, yeah. because <laughs> I was sitting. Those chips are so good, and it seemed like Will stopped eating his, and also Kath stopped eating his, hers, and then I was like. Oh, these chips are so great, and I can't stop eating them. I'm going to eat all these chips. <laughs> yeah, what's so good about them? They were just like the skinny fries, yeah, the shoestring fries. Yeah, they're really good. Just cooked, cooked to like you know, good amount of crunch, mm. and then like um, yeah, it was just yum. It was just like oh man, I kept hoeing down, and then because I saw you taking some of Will's chips, I thought. I hope that's because you've eaten all of yours and I'm going to – I'm like, yes. Anyway. Yeah. Well, when they're thinner, it's easier, isn't it? Because it's – Grab a big handful. Yeah, yeah. you grab a handful. It's less – if they're big and chunky, it's more obvious that one big one's gone yeah. or whatever. Mm. I know. And I never take I, – I get I get really annoyed if people take food off my plate. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, not really annoyed. That's a stretch. But I'm a bit like, I have a meal, you have a meal. Yeah. But um, I hate also one of my biggest pet hates is f- food waste. 
Like, you just oh, can't, right. cannot stand it. Cannot abide. And then so I was like, well, if these are just going to go on the piano. Oh, cool. Simply, that's a, simply a convenient way to justify your hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't going to eat them. He'd had a big steak sandwich. Yeah, that is so boy. good, the I, steak sandwich. I had a steak sandwich as well, and I still ate all my chips. was yeah, good. Uh, I was so hungry. Mm. Oh, because I and also because you know there was a bit of um, you know oh don't have don't have a big lunch because you're going out mm. out for dinner tonight. Mm. So it was like we'll oh, hold off on the snackies. Because mm. mm. Lo- loaded fries have taken off. I don't know how I feel about it because with loaded fries, um, <laughs> hot take of mine. But no, aren't they like the whole benefit of chips is that they're all nice and crispy, and if you cover them in stuff, they go all gross and so yeah. Yes, I, I don't mind a um, chips and gravy though. That's good. Yeah, here's my. This is all I'll say about loaded fries because <laughs> I'm withholding judgment. I feel as though loaded fries are taking off in part so that when you get a burger, fries aren't necessarily included. <gasps> oh, that's a scandal. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, because yeah. it's a meal. It's a meal. Damn it. Oh, yeah. Shredded pork on that. Oh baby. yeah. No, I don't like that. Yeah. Anyway, okay. that's the world we're living in now, oh. I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> it's just upheaval and change. All the time. Um, anyway, we had a lovely dinner, walked walked down in the rain, um, but not raining too much and took um, – I thought, do you know, because Kath was coming from work and I was like, I'm going to be really nice here and bring her umbrella. That is nice. Oh, that's I so lovely. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Oh. That's why I was – Two, two, two umbrella lady over here. Oh, did it work? Uh, I mean, oh, it's, it's well, did she suitably impressed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, did you notice that I bought your umbrella? That's beautiful. I did. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Um, but in my head, I had, I thought, if I'm walking and I see someone that's, you know, getting drenched, I'll, I'll probably give up an umbrella. Like, I'll, I'll give it to someone. Really? Yeah. The rain wasn't heavy enough for that, and people were fine walking around in the rain. Mm. And also, was like, it'll, it'll probably happen where I'll go, Oh, here, this is a spare, so yeah, take this. And their reaction will be, oh, I want your, oh. your umbrella, yeah, that oh, might really? that's, in, in my that's just, oh, that's just a fantasy, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and like that's that's probably you know, when you try and do something nice, that'll probably be, yeah, what happens. I think if you've got an umbrella that's slightly damaged, if it's malfunctions in any way, if there's a pointy bit coming out of the bit, throw it out, absolutely, yeah. get rid of it. I don't even own an umbrella anymore, what? I haven't for ages because, um, I feel like they're just always flimsy. I hate. Like I've, and if, if it's more than one person, like the idea of walking with someone when you both both have umbrellas is like this is the worst. I hate that because oh. you, you're knocking it and you you're getting in yeah, each other's way. We didn't walk home together. I'd followed Kath home. Yeah, <laughs> it was like you know when we walked out, it was like, see, I bought your umbrella. Oh, nice. And she goes, it is very nice, but I'm going to walk up here. <laughs> yeah. So, um. But yeah, but these umbrellas that I've got, yeah, they're pretty hefty. They're hefty. They were like ten bucks though. Really? What do you yeah. mean hefty, like wide and strong? Like a golf mm. umbrella. And I, th- I think it's got extra um, reinforcement. Arms. Yeah. Why golfing? I know I've asked this before. I've n- why golfing umbrellas? Given that it's dangerous to play golf in the rain, why are their umbrellas so good? Mm. Because if you really love golf, nothing will stop you. So you yeah. make, I don't know. That's a guess. Oh yeah, because oh, you've got to you've got to protect your clubs as well. Oh, that's true. So you've got to be chivalrous towards your clubs. Yeah. 
Also, I like the noise that it makes when you open it. That's a sign of a good oh, umbrella. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's oh, good. That is sweet. <laughs> oh, that is such a good sound. Anyway, how was your dinner last night? Shit. Why? <laughs> it was so shit. What, did you make it? Did you go out? It was, it was leftovers that... Uh, Jesse had made the night before. It was delicious salmon. Yeah. And I asked Mon the oh. day before, what do I do with it? And I was so lazy. And what did you do? You just ate the cold leftover salmon? I just crammed it in a sandwich. In a sandwich? Yeah. Or oh, like yeah. a roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but your pasture idea would have been better. I also said an omelette could have been. Oh, omelette. Yeah, I so the omelet. Omelet. Yeah, it could have yeah. I think I had a vision in my head of uh, Mon's omelette. <laughs> and went... <laughs> I'll put that between two bits of bread and just not use any eggs. Well, yeah, I had I, I thought of Mod's omelette, and which is a I don't know a kids show in the eighties. It sounds like and, a tourist um, attraction. <laughs> yeah, a giant omelette. And anyway, I realised I was never going to do an omelette as good as you would have, and then I got discouraged. <laughs> you have no idea about my. You could make a cracking omelette. Oh. No, absolutely. Pardon, completely. I don't have had a coffee for that to have been intentional. <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> so anyway, bad. yeah, it was just so sad. It was miserable. Real divorced dad vibes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'll um I'll bring it on. With you. <laughs> Melbourne's own Triple R. Joining us to review book books this week, we're fortunate <laughs> to have online program manager of the Stella Prize, Daniela Baldry. Morning, Daniela. Good morning, guys. Uh, what um, what do you have this? this you, you tell us. <laughs> what, what are you reviewing? <laughs> Which book do I have? Mm. Uh, I'm here this morning to talk about Lauren Euler's debut novel, Fake Accounts, uh, which came out early February this year via HarperCollins. Mm. So... Yeah, I first read, yeah, I first read Fake Accounts last month uh, when I was staying with a friend in Melbourne for work um, and it was that week when Melbourne went into the latest of the lockdowns, the sort of the five-day lockdown, and I'm from Sydney. So I had a couple of days worrying that I might sort of get stuck in Melbourne indefinitely when mm. we didn't know how long it would last, which really wouldn't have been that bad <laughs> at all. But at the same time, I don't necessarily like the idea of being trapped anywhere. So I did what I do when I panic or have sort of any emotional reaction for that matter. And I panic bought some books, oh. one of which was fake accounts. Great. And so the author of Fake Accounts, Lauren Euler, is a writer and literary critic based in New York, uh, and she's fairly well known on Twitter and for her often brutally honest and sometimes scathing book reviews, um, one of which was of Gia Tolentino's hugely successful collection of essays, Trick Mirror, last year. Did you guys hear about that one? No, but I didn't read it. Yeah, really incredible, like another, yeah. probably my favourite book um, of last year. And um, I only mention this because, A, is there anything better than women... Uh, smart women critiquing each other's writing and B, because Euler really had to trust that her own debut could stand up to potential critics, um, even if it was just fans of Gia's ready and waiting on their Twitter accounts. (laughs) Um, And so I'm really excited to tell you about uh, Euler's book. So Fake Accounts is her first book and the novel opens on the eve of Donald Trump's inauguration where our narrator secretly decides to search her boyfriend's phone, uh, only to discover he's a popular anonymous conspiracy theorist on Instagram. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) 
It's, I love this already. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if it's okay, I just thought I'd read you the first opening Great. sentences to Great. sort of set the scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. So consensus was the world was ending or would begin to end soon. If not by exponential environmental catastrophe, then by some combination of nuclear war, the American two-party system, patriarchy, white supremacy, gentrification, globalization, data breaches, and social media. People looked sad on the subways, in the bars, decisions were questions, opinions rearranged. The same grave epiphany was dragged around everywhere. We were transitioning from an only retrospectively easy past to an inarguably more difficult future. We were, it could no longer be denied, unstoppably bad. Although the death of any hope for humanity was surely decades in the making, the result of many intersecting systems described forbiddingly well, it was only that short period between the election of a new president and his holding up a hand to swear to serve the people's interests that made clear what had happened, that we were too late. Mm. Mm. So an incredible <laughs> opening. Um, and <laughs> And, but it really only gets better from there. Um, and so as a reader, you're immediately thrown into this really fast-paced and heightened environment that sort of mirrors the chaotic nature of so much of social media and just the internet in general these days, I suppose. Um, but Euler doesn't go on to follow Trump's presidency. Um, she actually goes on to follow sort of a series of bizarre events in the narrator's life um, that essentially expose how inextricably our lives and identities are shaped by the internet now. Mm. And so after she makes this discovery on her boyfriend's phone, she's kind of happy because she was already looking for an excuse to get out of this relationship that wasn't really going anywhere anyway. Um, But there's so many twists in this novel. And I actually can't detail too much more of the plot itself um, because um, there's too many, like, twists um, and surprises for a reader. But I can say um, that... uh, So after the narrator makes this discovery, um, she makes this decision to escape her real life, so to speak, uh, in New York uh, by moving to Berlin, um, where she takes on a variety of fake personas of her own um, and just webs, uh, sort of uh, creates all these lies um, of her own, but they're mostly on dating apps. um, And she goes on a series of really fun and entertaining dates where she takes on all these variety of personalities. And it's funny as well, yeah? It's so funny. It's so funny. And it's, um, I think if you're a reader especially, there's so much um, commentary that kind of and, and sort of like um, funny takes on like other writers and the way that, um, you know, a lot of people have like uh, short paragraphs these days and try to say a lot um, in condensed writing. And so, um, and the scenarios that she sort of um depicts where she's going on these dates are hilarious like she takes on at one point she takes on um the signs of the zodiac to create structure on all her dates throughout the week so she she chooses um a variety of personalities and it's so funny sounds like such a juicy premise as well um does it feel like it, it, the content also sounds very online. Do you reckon it's of the moment? Will it date? Do, do you reckon this is a perennial read? Yeah, I think I. I think while it's of the moment, um, I also think that um, uh, the author made a, and she's spoken a lot about this in interviews, but she's made a really conscious decision that she's not saying the internet is bad. She's saying that the that essentially where humanity brings their um you know their darkness to the internet a lot of the time and and that's why 
um, a lot of the themes she explores in this book um, would exist with or without the internet. So I think like, you know, if we're on a different social media platform in 10 years, it's, it's still going to be just as relevant. Mm. Um, what about the, um, the self-awareness component of it? Like a, a, a smart character writing about a culture and presumably knowing her own flaws and that sort of stuff. How does, um, how does the novel grapple with that sort of irony? Yeah, I mean, I think the narrator, she's not necessarily super likable and she's not super self-aware either. Um, so I think it's like um, she's, you know, analysing everything. She's analysing herself to the ninth degree, but she um, at the same time just like doesn't really know herself and doesn't know why she's doing all these, like, you know, weaving all these cr- uh, creative lies um, in Berlin and she doesn't really have a purpose. She's just sort of spending time like scrolling the internet. Um, and she showing sounds kind of awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She, to be honest, she is pretty awful, but like, <laughs> I love an awful character. In yeah. yeah. Um, especially when the writing is as good as this. Um, and I, um, yeah, I think that, um, although, you know, it's, it's, it opens, um, in the, the Trump era, um, it really doesn't, that's not the focus of the novel and it's just like this starting point rather than um, the, the point of it all. Mm. And what, what have the critics said about the book? I think it's got a really good response. So, mm. yeah, it only came out um, early last month, but I, I think that if, um, so far, so you know, good. yeah, like if, if writers had um, wanted to get back... <laughs> at Euler for her, her own sort of um, scathing reviews, then um, <laughs> they they don't really have much of an opportunity with this because it is a really great book. Is she? Um, and, yeah. Sorry, is she, is she sounds like a bit of a badass where she's just going, <laughs> yeah. you want to write it? You, this is how you write a book. Mm. And this. Yeah. Dish this up. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think. Um, really, um, the book that she went for, Gia Tolentino's um, Trick Mirror, um, that's a, a similar in its um, content in terms of, you know, it's um, a commentary on um, the way that we interact, particularly with social media these days. Um, and so they're both exploring similar content, but um, they're, they're actually making really different um, statements about it. Um, and I think, like, Euler had a, a problem with, the way that Gian Tolentino um, sort of uh, essentially um, writes about herself primarily um, and always brings, like, um, uh, issues in the world back to her own, um, you know, personal essay. Um, and um, But I think that... Um, I think that Euler um, has basically, you know, just explored it in a different way and said that, like, it's people that, um, uh, you know, have issues and um, it can get messy online in different ways. Mm. Well, you mentioned up the top that you're the program manager of the Stella Prize. What's the story here? Yeah. um, So in terms of the Stella Prize at the moment, we've um, earlier – this month we announced our long list, which is the top uh, 12 books, um, and it's an incredible long list this year. This week uh, we announced our short list um, on ABCRN on Thursday morning, if anyone's um, keen to listen, um, and that'll be the six books the judges have chosen for this year's prize. 
Um, and then next month um, on the 22nd of April, if people have their diaries at the ready, um, yes. <laughs> Thursday evening, um, we'll announce the winner um, in an online broadcast, um, which is free to watch via our website. Um, and, uh, it'll be a very special event that won't just be your sort of regular announcement. Um, we've got a lot of speakers, including all the shortlisted authors, um, speaking on a theme. So it should be a really good night. Brilliant. Well, the book we've been talking about today is Lauren Euler's Fake Accounts by, uh, it's out through HarperCollins. And it's great to meet someone who panic buys books. Um, <laughs> do you also though have the, um, the attendant anxiety of having an unread stack around the house? No, not at all. It makes me feel so much more comfortable to know that, like, if I ever need any sort of book, I've got it. You don't <laughs> have unre- unread books. You just buy them and read them like a good reader. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daniela Baldry, so great to meet you. Thanks heaps. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks, guys. Triple R. Performing as part of the show Three's Company at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, it's our pleasure to welcome this week's Wednesday Wisecracker, Adam Knox. Morning, Adam. Good morning. It's called, by the way, I hate to correct you, but it's called Three's Comedy. We put a lot of time into that hilarious <laughs> oh, oh, You no. got me. Uh, what have what you been up to? Uh, not a whole lot, obviously, after the world has uh, reopened here. It's taken me a long time to get into the swing of things again. I've been really questioning whether or not um, I should be back in the world again. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like. Mm. Like I, a lot of mem- I, obviously during COVID, a lot of things where, where you go through your, your your past life and remember whether or not you were socially capable in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I like even when I so I'm going to tell you a story. Can I tell you a story? Yes, please. Is that the whole idea of the segment that you're likely to do? <laughs> is tell you a story. <laughs> um. When I was a, a little kid, it was Christmas. We went down to uh, my my dad got me a um, remote control boat, which was really cool. This was the nineties. That was like the most advanced possible imaginable technology mm. was the boat. And uh, we went down to a, a little lake in Frankston near where we lived, and there was another little kid there who had also gotten a boat. So we got oh. to hang out as a couple of boat buddies. I believe they call them. Uh, uh, <laughs> I guess I don't. I guess I don't know what the nautical term is, but <laughs> we were a couple of little kids, little kids with boats. His boat, though, the other kid, it broke down in the middle of the lake. It stopped working, and it was dead in the center. So we came up and said, "Hey, don't worry about it. We've got a brand new remote control boat too. We'll be able to give you a sea rescue and bring this boat over back to shore, nudge it gently back to shore for you, and save Christmas." So we, we drove our boat there that we didn't really know how to use over towards his boat and immediately sunk it, <laughs> imme- drove straight over it, and it went down to the bottom of this lake. And this kid started crying. It was Christmas Day, and the, the, his, his present had been ruined by us showing off our present. <laughs> and then the dads got into a dad fight. <gasps> oh. And it ended up being that both of the dads competitively walked into the lake to try and get the boat. <laughs> they whipped their shirts off, but not their pants, <laughs> even though it was a lake. And they, it only went up to about their waist by the time they got out there. It was a, a, a horrific thing. And, like, so just genetically, I know that I'm not predisposed towards uh, <laughs> having good interactions with people. Goodness. So I'm questioning whether or not. What body of water? What, but do you remember the body of water exactly? It was uh, the Frankston Botanical Gardens. There's a big oh lake. Oh, my God. 
And uh, it was it, Daniel's it, boat that you. Saw. No, no, no. <laughs> that's a pretty. That's a that's a messy, sloppy little. You know, you got ducks in there as well, don't you? Yeah, but you got a little remote control boat. You can't take it to the ocean straight away. You got to get up a few kills before you go out there. <laughs> yeah. My dad was genuinely kind of proud of it. When we got home, he put a little sticker on the side of the boat of another boat with a with a cross through it, like they used to do in the <laughs> war when you shut down the Red Baron. <laughs> and who, who, which dad got the the sunken boat? Yeah. Was it a race so, to get to the middle? They never found it. Oh. It wasn't even because you're right. It's like a sloppy, grimy lake. It was better in the '90s, like everything. <laughs> but it was, it was only went down to about like the, the chest of a dad, and they both <laughs> kind of tried to fish around for it, and, it. and nothing. Wow. <laughs> Chest of a They're using that metric in the New South Wales floods. <laughs> yeah, it forgets that that's a true emergency. What else I is going on? Yeah. I remember there was another, the thing that I mainly think here, before the pandemic kicked off, I, I used to work at a zoo. Oh. I won't say which zoo, but it was a nearby zoo. Okay. In Got, yeah. Melbourne. And um, <laughs> I. In Melbourne, did I, you say? Yeah, it's one in... of Melbourne's zoos. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And I worked there. Um, my job was like I, I did a little bit of everything. So I was like in the car park and I was in uh, like the lemur enclosure and kind of all around. And so most of my job was telling people where the toilets were. Yeah. And I also, if there were kids who had gotten lost, my job would be to take them to reception where they would call and try and find their parents and da-da-da, try and get them reunited. Um, so I did that very diligently one day. There was a little kid who was crying on a lawn all alone at this – Zoo, whichever zoo it was that I worked at <laughs> yeah. in or around Melbourne. Yeah. With and, the car uh, park and lemurs. <laughs> yeah, there's some lemurs. There's uh, some uh, some hippo. I, I think there's a hippo. I don't know. Yeah. I, did, I didn't pay that much attention. But there was a kid uh, crying on, on the ground, and I went up and I said, hey, you all right? And he was like, no. And I said, oh, do you know where your parents are? And he said, no. So I went, boom, lost kid mode. Here we go. Radio the bass. Go back up, say hello, Melbourne Zoo. We've or whichever zoo I work for. We've got a missing kid here. Uh, take him up to reception. Anyway, th- by the way, I should have pointed out this is a story about how I accidentally kidnapped a child. So uh, I took him up to reception. The reason he told me that he didn't know where his parents were because uh, his grandparents had brought him to the zoo. <laughs> They were standing about 15 metres away buying water from a shop where he wanted them to get him an ice cream and they refused to, which is what made him cry. And I don't know if it was like a form of revenge that he decided to wander off from them and go like, I'll show them how valuable I am by <laughs> maybe getting lost. So anyway, was, it, they... was, was the kid taking the question, did you ask where are your parents and the kid took it very literally? He didn't know. He was at the zoo. He hadn't seen them all day. No, but that's yeah, what I'm did. saying. Instead of exactly, oh. I think he was like, "Oh, you must be looking for my parents. I can't help you." <laughs> to be fair to the child, it is the adult's job to read between the lines. <laughs> it says. So, so I don't, I, you know, I don't think the kid was trying to frame me. Yeah, it just started out with you. There was a prospect of you being a hero, and in mm. the end, you're probably on a register. He was so desperate for that hero moment. Yeah, and is that no, the reason? I'm kind of a, the reason you don't work at a particular zoo anymore? Or? Look, I'm not banned from working at that zoo. <laughs> Whichever zoo it may have been. Just discouraged. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just, those like, because I, I knew I was going to tell a story or two on this, and I went back and thought about anything that's happened lately, and none of it was me coming out as the hero. In a <laughs> I wanted to find a story somewhere in the archives that was like, Do you know, I actually saved an orphan for the burning building. And if I'd have saved him quicker, he wouldn't have been an orphan. He'd have two parents. But... Um, so what, tell us about this show that's <laughs> Three's Comedy. Three, three, three's Comedy is a hilarious pun name on the old TV show Three's Company, which a lot of people go to say first, but they're dead wrong. <laughs> Uh, it's just stand-up. It's me and another comedian called Peter Jones and another comedian called Luca Muller doing like uh, about 20 minutes of stand-up each. Very straightforward, easy show to go to uh, as comedy comes back for uh, for an enjoyable time in yeah. this difficult in this difficult era. Like yeah. Easy listening of stand-up is what you're making it sound like. <laughs> totally. Yeah, you get a little bit of variety. There's three different people who all do slightly different comedy. We do the same jokes but in different styles. <laughs> Uh, no, we do different jokes, and it's just a, 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 a nice, fun, simple way to get back into stand-up, I think, where you get to see a little bit of different stuff. Cool. And so Coop is in, and when does it kick off? Uh, tonight, oh. unfortunately. So I'm going to do that for the rest of the day. Uh, yeah, it goes tonight and then uh, every night until uh, Sunday. Just a short little run, make a little bit of hay while the sun's shining in the middle of the pandemic here. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, well, chukwas for tonight. And, uh, thank you. Thanks very much for joining us, Adam. Adam Knox. No, thank you. Thanks, Adam. Close the Gaps, 12th Annual Report has been released, titled Leadership and Legacy Through Crises, Keeping Our Mobs Safe. The report contains 15 recommendations and showcases outstanding leadership of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people through critical challenges in 2020. Talk us through the report. We're joined by Nagara Murray, who for two decades has worked in the Melbourne Aboriginal community, holding a range of positions in government and community, and is currently National Manager of Oxfam Australia's First Peoples Program. Nagara, welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning and thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Now, the report was released precisely one week ago. What are your impressions? Yes, so there's lots of work to be done. Um, And I might just talk a little bit about Oxfam um, because we've worked with communities for over 45 years now and we've strongly campaigned for governments and all Australians to recognise the unique place and status of our first peoples in this nation and their rights to self-determination. And our starting point of our activism on Indigenous injustice is a rights-based approach to development and is consistent with our work globally. And we've called on governments within the health space to support locally-based Aboriginal community-controlled health organisations as a central part of its strategy, so to reduce the life expectancy gap and the higher rates of child mortality and chronic disease. So we're, we're really proud of the work that we've done with the Close the Gap Coalition since 2007, and we've consistently called for a substantial boost to Aboriginal community-controlled health services in Australia. Um, so, yeah, last week was National Close the Gap Day, the National Day of Action for Indigenous Health Equality, and closing the life expectancy gap of our people is everyone's business. It's a national issue in which every individual, organisation and group across this country can play a role, and this has been an opportunity this year to send our government a clear message that Australians value health equality as a fundamental right for all. Um, and the campaign is really a testament to the Australian public's overwhelming support for improving health outcomes for our people. And um, the report in, in, in particular um, has been um, put together by Lewitcha Institute. And as I said, it's a wake-up call to Australian governments um, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have the solutions to health inequality in their grasp. 
And that report showcased the resilience, the strength and leadership of our people, our community and organisation throughout a critical health crisis in 2020. And that includes um, not only COVID, but the devastating bushfires and climate change um, that continues to affect um, our people in this country. How did the leadership manifest itself in the year through the prism of those individual crises? Um, I think the fast action and leadership and grassroots level coordination of, of First Peoples-led health services ensured that remote communities and once threatened with you know closures by, by government become some of the safest places in Australia. And the report um, documents the leadership and innovation of those communities in dealing with um, the bushfire, um, with mental health crises, with COVID. Um, and we've had communities across the country turn their health services into relief centres um, I know VATCHO, which is our, our peak body in Victoria, conducted um, the first Aboriginal-led evaluation of reforms for mental health services. And it's remarkable, really, with COVID last year um, across Australia, our, our communities achieved an incredible feat by standing strong and keeping COVID at bay and ensuring the safety of some of our most at-risk citizens, including our elders. So it did present a severe threat, COVID, to our people and... Um, that's also because of the ongoing social and health impacts of colonisation and racist government policies and overcrowded housing and, and other health, health issues. But when it came to COVID, um, our people have completely reversed the gap. So I think currently the number of cases, obviously we have none in the country, but among our people um, was six times lower than the rest of Australia and not one person had passed away in our community from the virus. So mm. that's a huge achievement. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and so... What about things like smoking as well? What does the report say? Yeah, so there's a number of recommendations. So um, there's 15 recommendations for structural reform and strengths-based community-driven approaches to crisis, adaptation and response. And there's a number of those um, recommendations that, that you'll find in the report. So, for example, um, making health and other cult services culturally safe and building up our Aboriginal and Torres Strait workforce, um, raising the age of criminal responsibility uh, immediately and nationally that's been called on from 10 to 14-year-olds that are getting locked up, um, fully implementing the Uluru Statement from the Heart um, and funding the Close the Gap National Agreement. So there's a number of um, recommendations around that and our chronic diseases that our communities um, face, which has been very challenging over the, the decades that we've worked with the campaign. Mm. Are there any recommendations that have been successfully reached or mitigated and have dropped out of the report or are many of them recycled? Some recycled and I think there's still a lot of work to go um, but obviously um, the, the leadership of the coalition so um, working across all those health and human rights organisations and it's led by June Oscar and Carl Briscoe, they're the Close the Gap Coalition co-chairs and they're really calling on the, our political leaders to take action when it comes to Close the Gap and trying to hold them to account um, so I think that their leadership has been really important and really challenging um, the government on these issues that we face as Indigenous peoples and we are the most, you know, incarcerated, poorest, sickest, some of the most disadvantaged peoples in the world. Um, so I really do um, like to always acknowledge the co-chairs of the coalition and in that report they've, they've touched on the health issues affecting our people but also um, the issues that reflect the legacy of dispossession and, and intergenerational trauma and ongoing racism. Mm. I understand the 10-year anniversary uh, in that review, it, it stated that the gap in life expectancy is actually widening. Is there... Who do, who do we turn to for the best action? Is it is it state government? Is it 
federal? Is that not government at all? Uh, you know, who's who's leading the way here? So I think it's a combination of, of all of those, and I think most importantly, it's about Aboriginal people taking control of their lives and they their best place. Um, to understand the solutions that they need to fix some of these issues and beyond these crises. So I think that um, we all have a role to play and in particular, um, you know, the government and meeting these targets and, and measures that have been implemented through these um, campaigns. So I think that, yeah, um, there's a lot to be done in this country, um, but I think that we're really proud of the work that's happened in the last 12 months. I know now the Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Service are rolling out the vaccination for our people, um, you know, they've still got their finger on the pulse when it comes to um, the issues that we face in communities. Mm. Uh, yeah, I bring up smoking because uh, the report notes an 11% decrease in smoking between 2001 and 2019, which is terrific. So there's a, there's a lot of good it stuff is, in there. It is. It is terrific. And I think, too, that's the strong health messaging and health promotion that the Aboriginal community control play. And I think that was important, too, with COVID and around smoking and things, around how we interpret it out to our communities. So we're some of the most immunised people in the world when it comes to immunisation. Um, I think our, our messaging around um, smoking has been really strong right across the country for the last kind of decade or so. And all those um, Centre for Excellence in Tobacco Control have played a really important part in that. Mm. And, and looking forward, what's the importance of the 2030-2031? So I think um, when I think about where to from here, um, like I said, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but obviously those implementations will be really crucial to the way that we go forward. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important, like I said, that everybody has a role to play when it comes to our health and that all Australians deserve the right to health equality. All right. Uh, Nagari Murray, National Manager of Oxfam Australia's First Peoples Program. Uh, thanks very much. And the report is available at uh, lowercher.org.au? Yes. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank you. Triple R. Uh, very special day today. It is uh, March 25th. Thursday, March 25th, and it is International Waffle Day. <laughs> Would you believe it? Of course it? it is. I've just discovered this. Well, I missed the of Tuesday. The, the same acronym as International Women's Day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But just a bit more important. Hashtag IWD. <laughs> oh, we would start that. <laughs> Uh, It's International Waffle Day. Uh, It celebrates waffles, obviously, uh, their history. um, And also, um, it's like it started in in Sweden. um, And so the history is... I've done research for you. Um, Waffles um, came to Sweden near the early 1600s. Um, and they're often eaten with jams and fruits, establishing themselves as a beloved treat to be eaten at all times of the day. Yeah. Ah, okay. So what constitutes a waffle? The shape. Surely, like, that's... Yeah, I think so. Well, it says... Um, uh, the, when the Belgian waffle came along, they're, like, they're, they're thicker and have the bigger bits in them. Squares are bigger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, oh yeah, 
as time um, passed, a wider variety of waffles emerged. They became sweeter in the 1700s after more butter and sugar were added to the recipes. Mm. So imagine what they were like before that. Rubbish. Crap. Yeah. yeah. Tasted like the host. Yeah. <laughs> like, no what are you putting, putting bloody jams and stuff on them? Yeah. Um, Is When you say the host, you mean? The holy host. As in like, just that's the, when I think of something bland and pastry-like. Yeah. Like yeah. the Eucharist. It's been a while since I've had it, but I just... Oh, God, God damn. Yeah. <laughs> I've not heard that phrase in a while. Jeez, I, I think a lot of listeners probably needed a... Yeah. <laughs> Clarification. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think most people just went along with that. Like, oh, yeah. What? Oh, oh, yeah, bring that in. Um Love a waffle. We've got a um, oh, a waffle. Do you have a waffle maker? No, I was going to say controversially, I don't rate them. Don't like them? No, I always think they're kind of dry and bland. Like you got to put <laughs> you got to put stuff on them. Yeah, but like I think like a pancake has like a good texture. Yeah, or French toast or something. Waffles, oh. it's always a bit like. You know, well, you've got to get a good waffle, mate. What kind of mate, waffles are you having? Well, ones I've ordered. I'm not going to go and buy a waffle iron. Mm. So is the idea, if you're going to choose between pancakes and waffles, is the idea that waffles, by virtue of their rivets, yeah. collect more mm, maple yeah. syrup and goodness, yeah. whereas it just falls off a pancake? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, awesome. That's right. I like, <laughs> so I, I love it. But we've got a... Um, we've got a waffle waffle maker. We've got one from Belgium. Really? Uh, yeah, because Kath and Kath's had it for like twenty years, and it's still amazing. Um, and she got it because she lived in she was a, an exchange student in Belgium, mm. um, and so it was like a gift as she, from her family before she went home. Like, here you have this. We've got your your own Belgian waffle maker, um, and. Yeah, it, the key is making the batter good, mm-hmm. and then and so they're like they it's the got the fluffiness of a pancake, but also these delicious crunchy bits. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Now. Yeah. yeah, see, and then you put in and you put yummy toppings on it. Like we we have them every Christmas morning. That's oh, our, that's nice. Yeah, that's terrific. Put like fresh fruit and I don't see them often on menus. Not enough. Not enough. This is what Waffle Day is all <laughs> <Yeah>. about: <laughs> raising awareness that there are not enough waffles on menus. But you need your machine, don't you? You can't you make can't, it without it. Yeah, you have to have the special waffle. Get, get cafes. They've got extra funding. Yeah. Forget you about your toasters. <laughs> get, in, get in a waffle maker. Um, anyway, internet is Waffle Day, and it started in Sweden. And it's on. It's today because when they came to the waffle in Sweden is known as a vaffeldagen. Oh yeah. Um, but which also sounds a like a lot like vaffrudagen. Um, it sounds exactly the same when I say it. Um, which is our our Lady Day, which of course, as you would know, celebrates Mon. <laughs> That's the day that celebrated the Virgin Mary's conception. Of course. And that was today. So they just got – they just misheard it and just went, oh, well, it's like people heard Vafadagan Day yep. and they heard, oh, yeah, it's – Oh, so, so they're not even meant to be celebrating waffles. No, it's just it's just someone's misheard it. <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, thousands of – 
Well, actually, see, I'm millions of years ago. I'm confused because looking at the states, and I don't know if Europeans look at, say, American waffles and go, "Oh, sorry to bore you, Mark." <laughs> <laughs> We're in the middle of mass here. Just your full-on host. Uh, no, but the Waffle House, because mm. I, I, we hear about the Waffle House all the time. Mm. And but we've got the pancake parlor. Yes. So Australians are just pancake mad. US is waffle mad. But they've also got IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. Right. So they've got chain. both. Is that what that is? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the pancake parlour? Um, there was a pancake parlour in Albury, and I've said this before many times, and I'll say it again yeah. many times more. But it um, closed, unfortunately, closed its doors like many, many years That's a ago. Shame. But it was on Pancake Tuesday. <laughs> oh God! What a blow! What a blow! Why? One more day, mate. That would have been a big, like the biggest day of the year. You think oh, so? what a pity! Oh, look, I'm, I'm on the um, Waffle House. The first item on the menu is Angus burgers. So <laughs> is that when you get a steak on your waffle? Or just no oh, waffles God, at all? I hope not. No, no, they're just burgers. And and so they it look and then it goes steaks and sandwiches and Texas melts. I don't know. I'm just saying it transcends waffles at the waffle house. Mm. Whereas the pancake parlor, and by the way, there was one in Frankston in quite a beautiful building. Oh, my sister worked at the Pancake Parlour when she first went to uni and it was just heaven when we got to come and come and visit. Yeah. yeah. We were like, oh, we'll go out to High Point to the to the Pancake Parlour. Yeah. And it was just, mm. you can have whatever you want off the menu. Oh, yeah, what, all amazing. When I graduated from uni, we went to the Pancake Parlour as a family because it was out, I graduated from Monash, it was out in Clayton and there was nothing around. And so we went to, I don't know, like Nana Wadding or something, pancake yeah. parlour, all dressed up, you know, all really fancy, grown mate. adults. And service and everything at pancake parlour. Mm. Anyway, but it is waffle day. Yes. Don't, don't pull focus. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So um, in honour of waffle day, I have have written a... Um, what are those poems called? Acrostic? Yeah, an acrostic. I had something else in my head. I was like, that's not right. Better clear that up. <clears throat> Here we go. Uh, w is for waffle. The Belgian kind is my fave. Mm. A is for aerated cream. A fun thing you can put on your waffle. F is for fringe, which is what I call the crunchy bit around the sides. F is for fact. Here's one. Today is International <laughs> Waffle Day. L is for lunch. Hands up who wants waffles. <laughs> e is for eating. <laughs> eating waffles. Yum, yum, yum. The <laughs> Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of The Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website.